Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Josh Holtz. Hey, Josh, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on. I'll let you start off by telling a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, so, uh, Josh Holtz, I currently am the lead maintainer of S Lane Tools. I've been the lead maintainer, I think, since like beginning of 2018 now. I am also owner in a software consulting firm, which we started. I started with a few friends back in 2011. Started off doing a lot of just whatever kind of startup kind of work we could get as consultants. I did a lot of back and front end web, but uh, I kind of turned towards doing mobile dev probably around like 2014. And that's kind of been my main goal since then. How many are in your company? Uh, we started off with four or five of us, um, and now we're at uh, at 10. Three partners, and then uh, the rest are all full-time employees. Wow. That's awesome. I'm not at that point. I have no interest in employees right now. I didn't know that's what we were going to do. <laughs> we just kind of created it as like a freelance umbrella for the most part when we just started because we didn't like our enterprise jobs. We wanted to do something kind of in like this like fun, fast-moving tech space and uh, just kind of doing freelancing, maybe creating our own product or something. It was kind of what we wanted to do. And then we decided to like hire some interns and they became full-time employees. And uh, now we have seven employees. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Everybody's super good, smart, fun. I enjoy having them all around. So are you like the iOS specialist or is the whole shop iOS focused? No, I'm one of the like only native mobile focused. We have a lot of uh, Elixir people. We have a lot of Angular, React front end. Uh, we do quite a bit cross-platform mobile just because it's kind of what like our clients need. So we do a lot of Ionic. Um, we've done some React native, but mostly Ionic is pretty much where all of our mobile is these days. Interesting. Okay. I don't hear a lot about Ionic lately, um, but it's cool to hear that because that's like web-based, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's easiest for us to iterate quickly just for who our clients are. And then it's best for what our clients are geared to take over. Since they don't really have native mobile developers themselves, Ionic is kind of the best way for us to make something and kind of train their team to take it over. Yeah, that makes total sense. So... I saw you speak at Swift Heroes with me. I saw you're a fellow Midwesterner, and I was like, yes. And then I heard you maintain one of my favorite projects and a lot of developers' projects, Fastlane. Do you want to explain Fastlane and, like, you're, like, lead maintainer now, right? Correct, yes, full-time. Okay, I'd love to hear the history of this. From how, how did I, How did Felix hand this off to you and how it all started? And what does it do? Because some people don't even know. Yeah, so it's an automation tool for, was just iOS, now it's Android and Mac and pretty much any sort of native application that you kind of want to automate. Um, but it is... Watch OS? You can do watch OS stuff. I yes, actually don't can. have, I don't have a watch OS app yet. I'm using it right now for a watch OS app. It works awesomely. I might actually kind of like want to hear how it is because I don't have one yet. And tvOS are on my list of things to like personally create so that I can kind of become that kind of user. But uh, to get back into it, I guess it's used to help automate the development process, deploy process, pretty much anything that uh, you can script out APIs we can hit so that you don't have to click anything, miss any steps. Android's also in there. It's pretty much like the uh, industry standard for doing iOS automation these days. 
Yeah, and we're talking about like the publishing, dealing with anything with the app store. Yeah. Uh, what else? Submit, I mean, there's a lot. Submissions, metadata, screenshots, framing, any external services for like registering push notifications, test builds, uploading your uh, DSYM files for crash reports, pretty much anything that has a CLI or API that we can hit, we're able to kind of throw in there. So what's the history of Fastlane? Because that was started by Felix, right? Yes. So Felix started that in late 2014 and started off as just separate individual tools um, to kind of automate different parts of the iOS ecosystem. Um, I think he actually did it as a university project. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, it took off. I don't remember exactly how or when. But I saw Orta tweet about Felix back in like November of 2014. And it was like, this is the guy to watch. And I'm like, okay, like I'm doing iOS stuff. I didn't really know like what he was working on, what I needed. But I was like, I'm kind of interested to see what's going on. So then I saw that he released a tool called, that was uh, that was Snapshot to automatically take screenshots. And at the time, I was our only native developer doing iOS and Android stuff. And I had multiple small client projects. Most of my time was just building, compiling, releasing over and over again. And like, it was like, this is not super fun. I mean, like I wanted to make stuff. Of course I wanted to ship stuff, but I didn't want to spend all my time. Just, it was a, it was a pain. So I saw that he really snapshot and doing screenshots was a part of my job at the time. And I, came across a weird bug while running it. It was something with security, some permissions of this like Mac OS system or something. So I created a pull request to fix that. I had a pretty like detailed description and everything. So, screenshot. Yeah. One thing is uh, audience should know this is all written in Ruby. So Ruby. Correct. Yes. So you have to have some knowledge of Ruby, obviously in order to do this pull request. Yeah. So I actually going back, I went to uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering for software engineering in 2007. And that summer, me and my dad were going through Barnes & Noble. And at the time, like, the computers part was the best part. Like, I hung out there for, like, hours every time. And I picked I a new book, uh, something to learn for fun. And I actually picked up a Ruby 2.3, 2.1 book, not knowing anything about Ruby. I've never done any sort of scripting like that before. Um, at the time, I did have PHP experience, I had Java experience, JavaScript, all that kind of stuff. And I was running Ubuntu, so like, I did a lot of like Bash and stuff. But I didn't really know like Ruby, Python, Perl. And I was choosing between those. And I chose Ruby because I think the name sounded cool. And I think I, <laughs> and I, think I saw like the Ruby syntax where it had like the block syntax with like the dot right. each. And I'm like, this looks interesting. looks something I'm not, not used to. So I, I picked that up. And... I did some Ruby while at school. We did a lot of Ruby APIs when we started back in 2011. A lot of Sinatra. Uh, we didn't do Rails. So like, I had a lot of Ruby backend experience. So I'm like, well, I guess this feels pretty good because I'm like, uh, Snapshot was iOS, which I'm doing now. And I had the experience to actually go in and make a PR for it. So it kind of like fit perfectly with the Ruby experience I've had for like five-ish years. So it wasn't too hard to actually jump in and make a PR for that. And uh, I did quite a bit of open source before then as well. So I was kind of familiar kind of what open source pull requests were expecting. A lot of 
descriptions, how to test, screenshots, all that kind of stuff. Nice. So I ended up making the first pull request. Felix liked it. I made a second one, and then I got a DM, and he's like, hey, you want to join the actual, like, team? And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like, I, uh, I mean, I don't really have much else to do. So I was like, sure. <laughs> um i got I a think, book from birds and nobles yeah so, yeah that's, what the heck yeah yeah that's that's all i all i had so hopped on a call with him he kind of talked to me like through like what his plans were all the different tools all that kind of stuff and i was like this yeah. fits pretty well with like where i am in the consulting world because i'm going to use this to help my clients so like i was coming in more from an application standpoint of being an end user and kind of fixing things along the way adding things that i needed as a user instead of just like being on the core team and like doing issues and stuff like that i was just kind of adding things along the way so uh yeah i started on the core contributor team in january of 2015 and then uh for three years i did a lot of like actual consulting for it so i had clients that were like hey i need this scripted out i had a client come to me who did a lot of white label apps he had like 100 apps in the ios app store and 100 in google play and they were doing all of them manually. Wow. Like the smallest bug fix had to go through all 100 apps and would take like weeks to upload. We got it down into one command line call that ran for a couple hours. And that's it. So I did a lot of... That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That one was pretty intense. But it was it was fun. So like I was I was doing stuff on the core team, but I was more coming in from like an application user side. And then in 2018, Felix was at Google at the time, and they were doing some uh, other Fastlane stuff internally. And uh, the actual like Fastlane library itself needed more direct focus. So he was doing more, like I think it was Fastlane CI is kind of like a project that was started, didn't actually get anywhere, but he was working, working on that. So I took over as lead maintainer for him because his kind of focus was elsewhere. So he was just kind of like a quick handover for the most part because I already knew a lot of what Fastlane did, the, the the direction it needed to go. I just needed the credentials to like push out releases for the most part. And then that's kind of where a lot of my contributions then started coming a lot faster. I was part-time starting in 2018 all the way until July of last year, 2020. Uh, July 2020, I actually became full-time. Uh, so that's, that's been a lot of fun. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet. And it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. How many team members are there? 
There is one full-time fast lane person. That's me. Okay. And then everybody else is really just core contributors that kind of jump in when they need to because it's fun. Some people, their jobs do allow uh, them to work a few days on it. But uh, there's not really anybody else that's focused like full-time or part-time right now. Okay. It's funny you mentioned Orda too, because I met Felix and Orda at Swift, and Felix had a really good talk about security at TriSwift New York. I think it was 2018 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that guy knows his stuff. I don't know what he's up to now, but. He's super smart. Yeah. Yeah. I think he travels the world now and like kind of just does whatever he well, wants. Well, up until. People could travel the world. Could anymore, travel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Orda, I talked to quite a bit. He's got a really great project. I've plugged uh, the Shiba PM stuff that he does okay. with Rocket and uh, Commodore because I'm a big Swift Package fan. Like That stuff is pretty sweet. Yeah, cool. So if you were going to like convince a team to use Fastlane, what would be like your key points, I guess, when you'd want to convince them? Well, that's... I don't feel like I ever had to do much convincing, so I've never really been asked. <laughs> I've never really been asked that question because people like just come to it because they see the problems that that they have doing iOS development and like missing steps, signing being messed up, app store information being kind of hard to enter if you support more than just one localization. Oh, okay, yeah, and device as well. Yeah, like it becomes a pain to put like. English, German, French for iPhone, iPad, all that kind of stuff. So, like, it just saves you time. It's pretty much the shortest way to convince someone. And you never miss a step. Automation is great. You don't have to automate every single part where you don't touch a keyboard ever. But if you can, like, automate the process and still have, like, command prompts going through if you need to, that's still a really great process because then you're not missing the version bump or upload whatever questions it may ask it doesn't have to be hands off just don't miss a step and it makes your development and deployment much easier and even if it just has like a linter on it right so like oh i missed a step okay i'll go back and i'll fix it manually like even that is better than nothing yeah there was a tweet going around two weeks ago where there were quite a few people who were missing the uh cloud kit schema deployment from uh, development to production because you have to do that before you push to test flight or the app store and it's bitten a lot of us because all of a sudden like cloud kit stuff won't save and after it bit me the first time i actually added a prompt in my deploy process that said did you deploy yeah so like it was great because i still have to go into the cloud kit dashboard and like click the deploy button but it makes me think about hey this is a step that i could have easily missed four times and I did not now. So like, it's still a great way to automate and make sure you hit every single step. So it sounds like you've done like server side development, right? Yeah. And it's like those folks, even like client side JavaScript stuff, those folks have it down when it comes to like automation, right? Oh yeah. It's like, that's what I love about Fastlane is it brings a lot of that really cool automation stuff over that server side folks have, especially if you're working with like Docker, it's just like, it's so easy to like deploy new stuff without having to worry about missing a step. Yeah, I think we're somewhat spoiled as native developers where we do have like a very nice IDE with buttons and tools that do all those nice integration stuff for us that like does upload the app to the app store if we need to. So it's very easy to just like 
manually click things through and through and through. But uh, I enjoy not having to click things and just kind of saving myself time where I can just be like deploy and then it does its thing for like half an hour. I just go like away from my desk, go for a walk and I can come back and the app is deployed, screenshots taken, all that stuff. So I figured I'd ask you, what's some of your favorite tools that Fastlane provides? That is, that's a tough question, actually. Is it controversial? It is not. There's just like, they each have their own best part. Okay. How about this? No pun intended. What is the hidden gem of Fastlane? Uh, probably, I'm, I'm going to have to say Match is probably, Match is probably the best tool. It saves and like, it's not the best tool for everyone, but it is the best tool for teams. And if you have multiple computers, like I have two, debatably three Macs, if I fix the other one. Yeah. Same boat. And you're only allowed two distribution certs when going to the app store. And back in the day, I remember I had a client where we would either revoke each other's certs or send the private key over an email, Google chat, whatever it was. And you would import and it was a pain and you didn't know which one was the thing. And now I just create one cert and it's synced and encrypted and it just easily can install it on any of my machines. I don't have to worry about it at all. So I started using Match recently and I was like, at first it's scary because, oh, I got to go manual. I got to get rid of my all my old certs in that case. Because what I wanted to do is, I, and we'll talk about it, but like, I wanted to set up a CI to like automate deployment and like match takes all the headache of provisioning profiles and certificates. It sets up an encrypted Git repo for you or wherever you want to store it. Right. And it automates all that stuff for you. And it's like not hard. I I was getting another developer on the team to test it out. And I was like, here, just run bundle match or a bundle run fast lane match deployment to download the certs. And it was like, like that. It like worked. As long as you get over like the hump of having to switch over to manual signing, it's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely the hardest part. And I'm reworking docs and stuff this year. That's kind of my main goal is to kind of like make it easier to onboard and kind of make these features less scary. And I want to kind of educate on how to do manual because it picking like which cert profile your code signing type is a very scary build setting process. Unless you do it a lot of times and mess up a lot of times, it's pretty intimidating. And like you're mostly going to get it wrong. I get it wrong sometimes. But it's so much better to manual sign, especially if you're going on a CI. And that's like the scariest part of Match is doing that. So I want to kind of help educate people on how to change that stuff on your own. And there's probably actually another tool that I could build that kind of helps step through changing all those build configurations. Because there is a pretty logical step to changing. Like you're doing distribution, you change your code signing style or your uh, iOS distribution, and you put the profile name in there now. Like, and then you could change it per target. So like you can actually like write a script out that kind of does all these steps in a row that would match exactly what you're trying to set and match. So one thing, I actually don't use Xcode projects on this. I'm actually using Xcode Gen. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with I that or am Tuist. Not. I don't do a lot. Well, I should say, I do start a lot of new Xcode projects, but uh, mainly for fun and nothing that I'm actually going to like try and try and do. So, I'm, so I'm, I set up all my certs and profiles in there. Oh. And then 
And then that way I actually don't check in my Xcode project. I check in the YAML file. I use Xcode gen to generate it. And then I run Fastlane. So it's like that removes a big layer of like complexity. I'm going to, I'm going to open this in a browser window. Xcode gen. Ah. So there's Xcode gen and Twist. Xcode gen uses YAML. Twist uses Swift to generate projects. Okay. I'll say, uh, I actually have a commit into Twist. Okay. But I haven't really played around with it too much. I was like, this kind of sounds like what Twist does, but, uh, yeah, it's the same idea. I One's just more simple. kind of look into that. Cause that'd be really cool to pair each other with in a script. Yeah. I don't need more ideas, but I like that idea. That's <laughs> sorry. That's cool. No, 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 no. All good. All good. Hey, folks. I wanted to let you know again about one of our favorite sponsors of the show, App Figures. App Figures is a leading platform for mobile app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization, and competitive intelligence. If you're making money with, for instance, subscriptions, then you know you need to stay on top of your numbers. You also know whether it's Apple or Google, they might leave you with a lot to figure out. So luckily for us, AppFigures has worked all this out. By bringing your core metrics to the forefront and calculating key data sets like MRR or churn or whatever the stats you're looking for, they can make it easy to understand what's happening and why and give you more time to grow your subscription business. If you're not sure where to get started in analyzing subscriptions, check out their guides or head to appfigures.com to start a free trial and see how much simpler it can be. If you like it, use our special code again, Empower3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're looking at growing your indie app business or whether you're a big company who has an app in the app store and you need more exposure, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Again, give it a try. And then if you really like it, use our code Empower3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you so much, App Figures, for sponsoring our show. So I'm curious, like, what are the biggest challenges with building, essentially, I assume, like, the biggest API you're working with is the App Store Connect, right? From the iOS side, yes. For Android, we use the Google Play, Play Ruby API. API SDK. I think it's called something like that. Wait, they have a Ruby SDK? Yeah. Oh, they're so lucky. It is auto-generated based upon the... the um, Yammer or whatever. Or not uh, GP, no. There are some letters there. Yammer? Uh, what is it called? Uh, what is it? I don't know. But either way, they don't actually write it by hand. It's, it's automatically created based upon their API schema thing that they have. But uh, yeah, those are the two, the two biggest APIs. Well, largest. Okay. Largest APIs. The App Store Connect API is definitely one that uh, takes the most tinkering. Okay. How much of that is documented or is it like... Uh, less than half. Is it a big challenge? Is it like typical like Apple documentation, which of course has not gotten a lot of great stuff? Or is it like even worse than that? No. So the hard part is there are two endpoints, two and three APIs, web services for Apple that we have to hit differently. There's the official okay. API, which is the one that uses the App Store Connect API key. And that's the one that Apple released at WWDC 2018. Okay. And that's the documented one. And that actually has okay. an open spec file associated with it. And it's all JSON API spec. JSON API.org, I think, is the location for that spec. So like it's pretty like standardized, fully documented, and it's pretty easy to discover. But the hard part is that doesn't cover 
all of the things that Fastlane has to do with all of Apple's web services. So we still have to reverse engineer slash use the same API that the App Store Connect website uses. Gotcha. That, that figures, yeah. Yeah, and that, that uses the Apple ID auth. So that one is not documented. Some of those do match up mostly with the official App Store Connect API doc, but doesn't match up exactly. There's kind of like this weird, like, I'm pretty sure the App Store Connect website has a proxy API that goes to the official App Store Connect API because they are pretty similar. Things seem to pass, but there are things that are quite a bit different. And then the developer portal is even more different, but still kind of has some of the same things there. But then there is some stuff that uses like the previous legacy API. that's still like the old, old stuff. So we have to kind of nicely, I guess, dance between all those different kinds of endpoints, what they return. So that's in our spaceship module. Inside our spaceship, there's the spaceship connect module inside of there, which that's all of like the new App Store Connect API stuff that can be used with the App Store Connect API key auth or the Apple ID auth. But then we have the legacy spaceship tunes and spaceship developer, which those are slowly getting deprecated as Apple deprecates their legacy APIs. But things like IAPs are still in the old API format, modifying a developer app. So like putting like your your push certs, configuring like app groups and stuff like that, that's still on the old API. Okay. So it's getting close to being perfect, but we are still not there. Does that answer the question? I forgot what the question was. No, uh, I mean, it does. I'm always impressed when I see Fastlane working and seeing how many loops uh, you have to jump through to get it to work. Because I can tell it's like not easy, but like stuff like the, the authentication especially is just like, whoa, how do you get that to work? Because I, I can see like you're obviously having to do some reverse engineering and stuff like that. And it's pretty amazing. Luckily, I didn't personally do the Apple ID auth and reverse engineering and that okay. stuff. That was, I think that was Stefan Natchev who did that. He was the one who originally created Spaceship. Before that, Fastlane actually did like web crawling and stuff or whatever that's called, which that was a disaster. Scraping. Scraping, there we go. Yeah, yeah. that one, which, ugh, nope. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that. Was that. But uh, yeah, the Apple, Apple ID auth has been pretty consistent now for a few years. There's a small things that have to change, but yeah, there, there is this like delicate dance of making sure headers get set correctly and saved and used on different requests differently and stuff like that. So it's uh, it'll be nice when everything is official app store connect API. I will be, Do you think that's happy. coming down the line maybe this year at dub They added a ton of new app store connect API stuff. Was last year when they added more test flight stuff? Uh, test flight was actually 2019. Uh, okay. This was a lot of the app store management stuff, which uh, took out the deliver tool for five days, I think. Okay. Deliver stopped working like the thir- Wednesday or Thursday before dub dub last year. So metadata, uploading screenshots, uploading your IPA, uploading your Mac app was all down because they pushed the new app store connect API stuff for that early and took down the legacy APIs. So I spent the first few days before dub dub fixing up deliver and i think getting that back to normal took about two weeks which i was actually really happy with because deliver is one of the biggest most complicated tools 
So those changes last year filled up like a really big gap of kind of what Fastlane was missing with App Store Connect API. So they added like a ton of stuff where I'd say probably probably more than 60, 70% of using App Store Connect API now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. At least in like the main tooling. What's on your wish list then for DubDub this year when it comes to yeah. App Store? So uh, in terms of App Store Connect API, the biggest one is downloading uh, the DSYM files. Okay. That is still currently requires Apple ID auth, which okay. is the biggest issue with people who use the App Store Connect API on CI. Because everything else is pretty much working for delivering the app to the App Store and everything on CI, but you can't download those decent allocation files on the CI with the App Store Connect API key. So you have to open up Xcode and do it. So you might have to open up Xcode or you could run your Fastlane script locally once a day, once a week, whenever you need them for the most part. Or you could set up 2FA on your CI and reauthorize that every 15, 30 days, whatever it is. But that's kind of a pain too. So that's probably the number one because that's probably like the number one request from users right now. I would also love for App Store Connect API to be for enterprise. Right now, enterprise does not have App Store Connect API key. Uh. So they're still using Apple ID. And then probably finishing up the developer portal for App Store Connect API. Because right now you can, I think you can create a developer app in the portal. You can do your certs, your profiles, but you can't configure the apps for push notifications, app groups, all that kind of stuff. That's still, that's still using the legacy API. So the tools Produce and PEM, which PEM does the push notification management and recreation, uh, those are still Apple ID only. Okay. So that's my wish list from an App Store Connect API for this year. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're doing something every year, so hopefully we'll yeah. see something. Last year was a huge push, so I'm kind of hoping this year's the same. Yeah. Hey, folks, it's that time again. The best Swift developer event in the known universe begins. At least that's what it says on the website. But it is an awesome event. If you heard John Wilker on our previous podcast episode, you know I'm talking about 360 iDev. This year, they're going to be doing something a little bit different with a hybrid event. You can choose between three different tickets, an in-person attendee, online attendee, and the in-person all in, which includes a continental breakfast, conference Wi-Fi, amongst other things. 360 iDev is one of the strongest communities out there when it comes to iOS, Mac, and other Swift development platforms. And they've been serving the community for, gosh, 12 years now. They've come a long way. They're not done being awesome and helping the community thrive, and they're going to crush it in 2021 just as they did in 2020. So you'll definitely want to check it out. Joe Chaplinski who spoke in a previous episode about subcontracting, will also be their keynote speaker. And I know from the Release Notes podcast that he is a solid speaker and he's going to bring a lot to the table. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joe speak. So I highly recommend checking out 360 IDEV this year, August 22nd to 25th in Denver. Or if you need to, they have an online ticket as well if you want to go that route instead. Listeners of the podcast can get 25% off registration by using the promo code EMPOWERAPPS. Again, 360 iDev is this year, Denver or online, between August 22nd to 25th, with, I know, a great selection of speakers. 
and a really great way to find others in the community and throughout the world. Get your ticket today and sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. So a lot of our audience are Swift developers. What can they do if they want to help contribute to Fastlane in some way? One of the biggest questions I get is, are we going to rewrite it in Swift? And that one's always a hard no, because... I yeah, mean, well, that makes sense if you have an Android audience for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. And there's just so much there that it would like, it's already hard enough to just like maintain and add small features. Doing that while rewriting is just totally impossible. But uh, we're a pretty fun and helpful community. So probably half the PRs that I get every week are from first time contributors. And not all of them actually know Ruby. So it seems like, I mean, I haven't been a new Fastlane developer in six years now, so I don't really have experience saying this, but it seems like (laughs) at least onboarding and kind of figuring out what to change for new contributors is actually fairly straightforward because half people are first-time contributors and not everybody, like, and they say, like, I don't really know Ruby. It's funny, like, I've been able to contribute plugins as well. Yeah. Uh, I actually spoke to Felix about it at Try Swift, and I was like, I have this app that builds app icons from SVG files. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. You should build a plugin for it. And I was like, okay. It took a little bit of effort, but it wasn't, like, a big deal to, like, make my Mac app available as a fast yeah. plugin. And it was like, like that. Yeah, Ruby's not, it's not terribly hard to pick up, especially if there are examples that you can kind of base it off of. And a lot of uh, score contributors do like to help people who make PRs. Um, so like if somebody is like, this is my first time, like I will gladly take the time to help them like learn, walk through, add things they missed, explain what they missed, because like it helps me for you to create a PR. Even if like you don't fully do it, I'll add commits, I don't care. I think it's fun to contribute with people not just on the project, but on a PR. So like there really shouldn't be anything to be scared of. The hardest part is probably just making sure you have Ruby installed correctly, to be honest. But uh, in the latest version of Mac OS, it is Ruby 2.6. So that's like totally fine to just start with. As a Swift developer, I would say just don't think of yourself as a Swift developer. Think of yourself as a developer and just have fun developing whatever kind of tool you want to use. Yeah, I've worked with um, like it's the same with like Homebrew. Homebrew is like Ruby based. Yeah, yep. And it's like really easy to just get in because a lot of that stuff is fairly simple. It's not like you need to like write a lot of logic for most of this stuff. Yeah. And I think what's nice is at least historically, a lot of the iOS tooling has been Ruby based. So like jumping in, creating a PR for people who kind of do want to dabble in that has been easy because like CocoaPods is Ruby, Xcode Project was Ruby. A lot of those kind of are Ruby based. Now a lot of them are becoming more Swift based. Just because Swift is a little bit more fresh, the word, yeah, fresh, kind of like new, but also like getting better in the CLI world. Uh, so, like that's where I think a lot of the tools are going to be Swift. So we might start seeing a little bit less contributions from people who don't really want to do Ruby because there are Swift options available. But I mean, we are a pretty like welcoming community. So even if you have a PR that that doesn't compile, I'll gladly help. So I have one more question. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Last question already? Oh, good. I was just going to ask about the future of Fastlane. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we covered a lot. I think so. It's been great. So last question, what's the future of Fastlane? Future of Fastlane. So a lot of that is not determined by me. 
even though I am the lead maintainer and I do have like pretty much full decision-making power, it really is based upon the tooling that we surround, the services that we use, and kind of where our users are kind of finding the most value. In terms of the future where I want to take things this year, the documentation and like onboarding is really what I want to improve. Since I just started coming on full-time last year, it was mainly kind of last year, it's kind of like catching back up with where a lot of things kind of may have fallen behind. And uh, documentation was actually one of the furthest that uh, I realized this year really could get improved. So our documentation generation tool is actually in Python. And that thing was like years behind. So I, I think I spent a good like three or four days straight kind of getting that back up together. But now that that's fully updated, the docs are going to get a huge overhaul. There are going to be more like examples, tutorials in there of kind of like what common Fastlane kind of scripts can be. Yeah. And then uh, I want to throw in the spaceship um, uh, examples and stuff in there. Because right now the spaceship mod, so Fastlane's kind of both a, a CLI tool and a DSL kind of thing, but also a Ruby SDK. So Spaceship is a Ruby module that can get used like in any Ruby application. And right now there's not really mainly any docs for it. Um, you kind of have to like go into like there's one readme file that has examples or you have to like go browse the source code. So we're going to actually pull like that Spaceship docs, all of that into the main kind of just put it out there as well so that like anybody can use that directly and feel comfortable using it without having to like go jump into the source code. Like, there's no reason you should have to jump into the source code to figure out how things work. Right, right. So, like, the doc's going to get a huge overhaul. Um, Fastlane also has docs in the CLI as well. Um, I want to make sure that those kind of are up to date, kind of, well, sorry, like, technically, the information is up to date. But I want to make it look more modern, make it easier to use, make sure all the information's in there. So, like, docs and onboarding is really where, like, I want to make things better, at least this year. And then uh, also in the docs have better support for cross-platform apps, React Native, Flutter, kind of making sure that like that community is also covered. Because Fastlane's not just iOS, not native iOS. It is Mac, Apple, Apple TV, Android. Watch OS, Android. I want to make sure that like it is welcoming not just to like Apple fans, but like every developer who can use it. A lot of this year is docs, but then it'll also be like what happens in a month from now. Like, do we get a lot of App Store Connect API stuff? Because if... Yeah, you got to keep an eye on that. If that's the case, depending on what comes out, it could take a week to fix. It could take a few weeks to fix. It could take a, like a few months to fully add all the things um, that are there. Or if like Apple releases something new that we need to build some new, some new tool around or something like that, like things just kind of pop up for the most part. So... What do you get is like, you said what the audience wants, your folks want. Like, what have you heard from a lot of folks that is like, oh, man, it'd be awesome if Fastlane did this. Do you have your finger on the pulse in that case? A lot of it right now is uh, around App Store Connect API being used everywhere, which is stuff that I don't really have too much control over. But like, that's probably the biggest thing just because it is kind of a pain to use Apple ID with 2FA. So like, that's probably the biggest thing. There are a lot of issues and discussions that get made that my head's not in all of them because I can't keep all that in my head. But there like are quite a few features and things that are in there that if for some reason I had a lot of free time, I could go jump in there and kind of like pull from that. 
Um, I wish I had more time to like add everything that people do want to add. Um, it's really a lot of balancing kind of what's, what's most important with what affects most people or like what's critical at the time. Well, if somebody wants to contribute, yes, it's a great way to help out fast light rather than just saying what feature you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to say from everybody in the community, uh, it's awesome to hear somebody putting some time into documentation. So thank you. It's about time because I I will admit I did push it aside. It is very hard to be like, well, I'm not really helping anybody directly when doing it. But I think it does end up helping everyone and especially new people. So I kind of had to rethink about how I thought about it. Would you ever do video? Like screencast, screencast types of thing. Yeah. So I yeah. actually, if you go to, uh, is it fastlinescreencast.com or something? I actually did. Okay. So I didn't do anything for like two years. I started the idea of it. It was very hard to maintain. Oh, yeah, for sure. We do change things pretty often. And especially with like App Store Connect tooling now, I do throw the idea out there of having like a small like YouTube channel where I do like small like five, 10 minute things every week, like small, fun, fast lane things that are that might not be trivial or that are nice to see like it actually works, even though you can cover it in a blog post or like docs. It is sometimes really nice to see like, hey, this is this is actually match in action doing stuff versus just reading about it and yeah, it's the problem of having to squeeze that in when you're trying to like put in every new feature that people request to. I totally understand. Yeah. Like I'm talking about putting that stuff in docs because like if we had like a bigger team that would that was only like doc focused that could help make sure that stuff stays up to date, that'd be much easier. So I don't think putting like videos in docs is necessarily uh the best in terms of like the documentation site health, but I'm not opposed to like having a YouTube channel of like uh, best practices, tips, hints, kind of this kind of stuff. But before I go down that, I want to make sure that everything else is taken care of. Yeah, that makes total sense. Wow. We covered a lot today. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Super fun. Where can people find you online? Twitter at Josh D. Holtz. Um, that's probably the best place to find me inside of my, uh, description thing. I have links to website, all of my stupid side apps, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, Twitter is where I'm most active. Uh, if you want to hit me up, send me a tweet. PMs are open. I tried to reply to all of them. So if you have any fast line question, I mean, DMs are there. It's probably not the best place to get help. Issues and discussions are best. But uh, I will not turn away any sort of uh, communication. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. We'll put those links in our show notes. Perfect. Folks can find me online. Uh, I'm on Twitter at LeoGTN. My company is Bright Digit. Thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode about WWDC. Talk to you then. See ya.